Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a stroke survivor and grateful recovering alcoholic. Today, I want to talk about life before and after sobriety. And let's see if I can connect this to life before I admitted I needed help dealing with the chronic pain from my stroke to walking away from my job and accepting my disability uh, of my vision impairment. So reflecting on life before sobriety, not even in my lowest moments of being an active alcoholic, um, but also while I slid down the slippery slope of my disease, it was like I was in the perfect storm. It was like there was disaster coming from all directions and there was no way out. Um, I was talking about that, I think it was yesterday, talking about there, there was no way out. And it's like I just had to stay out there and ride these ginormous waves, each looking like it was just going to completely straight up take me out. And the more I drank, the bigger the waves got. And I was navigating all of that in a permanent haze. Happy moments were fleeting and they were eclipsed by larger waves of desperation. I don't know that I was coherent enough to recognize that any relationships were strained. But later I learned once I put the wine down that they very much were. My responsibilities seemed completely unmanageable. I remember the bills coming in the mail and just not opening the envelope and just putting them on the kitchen table and, you know, like similar to like Schrodinger's cat. If I didn't look in the envelope, my life was both fine (laughs) and increasingly unmanageable. It's like if I didn't open the envelope, then, um, you know, my life would stay status quo. Um, And ahead of me, I really only saw destruction. And honestly, what I could see through the haze of all of the wine boxes I was drinking wasn't looking nearly as bad as the th- how things actually were. And wine was my only constant. And what was originally a temporary escape became an indefinite hiatus from life. I became trapped in an internal chaos and emotional pain. And there was no medication that was taking the pain away. None of my anxiety medication, my depression medication, my panic attack medication, none of that was working. Um, And it says on the bottle, like, don't take with alcohol, but eh, who reads that? (laughs) 
who actually follows it. Anybody who's taking it with alcohol certainly isn't going to acknowledge that it says that. And I had no routine. I had no hygiene. I had no sleep. I was really just passing out and waking up. You know, when I would come to, I would start drinking again. So when I when I admitted that my life was unmanageable, which was a process, it wasn't a realization. It was a process for me. Um, and since then, I have experienced a profound transformation in sobriety. It has reshaped my very existence on this planet. And I don't, and I am not exaggerating. My perception of myself, of others, and of the world around me is just completely, just completely, it's like I was living in black and white and now I'm living in color. And I didn't just stop drinking, although that's what I thought. That's all I thought I had to do. I thought I just had to put the drink down. But I learned um, that's why these programs that exist are, are there. Because just putting down the drink, they call it being a dry drunk. The, you're not addressing the issue, the underlying issues of why and what were you self-medicating? Um, in my situation, I was using alcohol to self-medicate. So I needed to look at why. What are the things that I was trying to cover up and look at them? Um, and it got kind of painful to look at them, but I had to put down the drink and start peeling back the layers to reveal who I am underneath all of that alcohol. I didn't know. I honestly believed that I knew myself and I, and I didn't, I had no idea how, you know, I, I'm not, I was never a bad person, but I wasn't consciously making decisions that I saw at the time as being selfish, close-minded, untrustworthy, self-destructive, but that's who I had become. I was blind to all of that. And as I peeled back the layers, believe it or not, I got to the core of who I was as a young girl. Like I started to be able to see her again and start feel the fe start feeling <laughs> the feelings that she felt when I when I was little. You know, like that innocent joy and and what what it truly means to be not judgmental and to be open-minded and, um, you know, to follow the rules and to want, 
to take care of yourself and grow and learn and all of that stuff that was in there waiting to be rediscovered. And today I feel so much more awake. It's like there were layers, not only layers of me, but they were there were layers of life around me. And I could only perceive the surface of what I saw. And today, like nature is more beautiful. I appreciate people more than I ever have. Um, I can see, you know, I can, I can understand, I can relate in to people better than I ever could before. And the gifts of just, you know, nature is a big thing. Uh, stuff that I've always appreciated nature, but I never really saw the true beauty of it until I got sober. Uh, it's true. I'm completely not, not pulling your leg or BSing. Like the rain, um, I've talked about how the leaves this fall were just amazing to me. I was just in awe how beautiful they were. And like, cardinals are a big thing for me. Seeing like a bright red cardinal is just fascinating to me. Um, and to feel real emotions and have those emotions serve their purpose, like healing and mourning and nurturing, um, joy that I feel today is much more deep-seated than ever. And then the pain and grief that, of course, I'm going to feel because I'm living life. You know, life happens still. And the pain and grief is more of a process. And I see the process rather than what it used to feel like when I was drinking what was like, pain and grief. Um, I, it's almost even hard to call them that it was more like this just empty, it was like a block of concrete that was just shackled to my heart. And it just, I couldn't pick it up. That's what I always felt like. And today it's called pain and it's called grief. And they are a process. And just like, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's like five stages of grief or however many there are. I feel those now and I can identify them. I talk a lot about in this podcast about when you feel a feeling, give it a name, identify what it is, because it helps me to understand myself a little better. How do I react when I'm grieving? How do I react when something hurts? How do I react when I'm jealous? All of that stuff. Um, my relationships are stronger than they ever were. And some in some places that has meant that I needed to change some of the people that I surrounded myself with for that to happen. And, um, you know, it's I have you have to put yourself first, I have to it doesn't mean anybody that I don't hang around now that I used to hang around with that I don't care about them. It's just that I have to surround myself with 
um, with people and put myself in an environment that's healthy for me. So the transition from one phase of my life to the next has not been linear. There's been a ton of uncertainty. And like I said, life has happened along the way. And there's growth and setbacks and resilience in between. The transition has demanded patience and self-compassion. I've had to build new habits, welcome new perspectives, and be freaking vulnerable. (laughs) And it's like I've been evolving from that young girl that I found within all of those layers to this middle-aged woman that I am right now. And I evolved at this crazy rapid pace because I never grew up. I feel like I was still at the age that I was when I started drinking. And I heard that when I first got sober, that when we start drinking and we start feeding our alcoholism, we stop growing. And and that's precisely how I have felt. And since I got sober, I have been, you know, growing up at rapid pace. But it's never been about getting somewhere and reaching some point where I look back and I say, I did it. It's always been about meeting myself right where I am. And that's, to me, what living one day at a time means. And the transition just happens when I work on myself today, when I focus on today, if I step back and look at this, you know, growth graph, for me, it, uh, it's almost, it's just amazing to watch the curve of the graph, um, when all I've ever been doing is focusing on today. And so there are so many parallels between transitioning to a sober life and recognizing the need for a significant life change because of my chronic pain from my stroke. And when I was in denial and not yet acknowledging the need to prioritize my stroke recovery, there was this undercurrent of unmanageability. I was putting on a facade for everyone, even myself, and concealing the underlying struggle. One one, uh, situation that stands out in my head uh, all the time is this. um, I was meeting with the president of my company that I just left, And his office, two of the walls in his office were windows, were just windows, and there were blinds going down them, but the blinds were open, so they were just like lines going across the window. And I have noticed in with my vision impairment that 
that something about that really bothers my head that uh, I don't know what it is, but it's the light and the dark um, and, and the stripes across the window. And then beyond the window, there's things moving around, you know, there's cars going by and, and that kind of stuff. And, and it really bothered my head. And, and I sat there, um, you know, he asked how I was doing. And I said that I was fine. And I said that the windows um, were a little difficult for me to look at. That's what I said. But we proceeded to meet for like a half an hour, 45 minutes. And I just did it anyway. You know, and that's not okay. It's I don't know why I did that to myself. I didn't have to do that. If he had known how much discomfort I was in, he he would have just been felt so bad that he was sitting there talking to me as if there's nothing wrong when I was in so much discomfort. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. I wasn't being honest about the underlying suffering that I was having. And, and I was doing that for two years. And um, it's, it's no one's fault but my own. I just was not willing to let go of what I, you know, all the goals that I had and, and what I love to do. Um, so when I, when I decided that I needed to change something, I didn't just have to put down my digital devices. I had to step away from the job. I had to abstain from all visual stimulation to in order to begin to manage the pain. And the pain I'm talking about, I could not even look up. I could only look at the ground because the ground was the only thing that wasn't moving. Um, as long as I was sitting still and I looked at the ground, nothing was moving. And that was the only thing that would make the sharp pains lessen or closing my eyes, of course. Um, and the, the pain, this is interesting to me when I was sitting down and I was comparing the pain, the physical pain before, like right when I was making this decision to change my life because of my stroke impairment and the pain, I realized that just like the emotional pain I was going through when I started getting sober, the physical pain that I had to address in my head was also in layers and we're con we're still working on addressing those layers so the injections that they're giving me have addressed the sharp pains in my head once in a while i've mentioned like once a day i'll get like a slight pain like a slight sharp little jolt in my head but it goes away like it doesn't even stay long enough to even call it going away. It's just like a, it's like a lightning strike. That's what it feels like. 
and since those are addressed now there's under that there's this other kind of different kinds of pain there's like the hangover feeling pain there's this this kind of like unsteady on my feet uh, I don't know dizziness I wouldn't call that pain it's like discomfort so um, I thought I think that's kind of incredible to compare the two and and notice that there are different again layers that I need to peel back and um, while these are addressed I've had to set off on a completely new uncharted area of self-discovery finding a way to navigate my life without using my eyes the way that I have my whole life um, and without the things that I thought were bringing me joy like my job, like kayaking, like running, um, you know, watching my TV, my shows on TV, all these things that I can't do anymore. Um, and if you're an avid listener to the podcast, you know that I've, I've begun to realize that that joy is not in those things. The joy is in me. And it's up to me to find ways to surface it. Um, and so I've had to reclaim my well-being again. And I need to translate this newfound clarity uh, in life. Uh, because at the same time that I've been dealing with all of this, I've also been losing loved ones to alcoholism and addiction who are not, you know, reclaiming their well-being, who are not doing the same thing that I have been doing. And as I had a stroke, lost my friends, my view of life has shifted drastically in the past two years, two and a half years. And these experiences have challenged my mental and emotional stability throughout my stroke recovery. I've been digging deep for courage and I find it in breaking my anonymity as an alcoholic. Because for me, if I truly want to recover, I have to be able to share about all of me and my alcoholism is a big part of me I don't believe that I can recover uh, in stroke recovery if I don't include my sobriety because that's what my sobriety is what holds my entire life together so my stroke is something that happened within that um, and so I need to remember why I'm doing all of this. I'm doing all of this to save my life. And I'm leaning into vulnerability to leave my job and live with my vision impairment. I've had to completely dismantle everything I've known and my goals 
but my values haven't changed. And I find that really fascinating about myself that when I look across all the phases of my life, there are three things that have always remained the same, whether, no matter where I was. And so throughout transitioning from each phase, I've had a deep commitment to self-care that has preceded everything. The only way that I've been able to do any of this is to prioritize my health. That's the only way. And I spent the first half of my life not prioritizing my health. I did some healthy things, but beyond all of that, I was, I was just poisoning myself with alcohol. Um, and I can't, once I make the decision to prioritize my health, I can't just do it on my own. And it's been when I reach outside of myself and talk about what's happening that nobody else can see within me that I can start the healing process. So talking to other people, communication. And from there, I simply try to remain willing to learn about how I can get better at being a healthy human being. And, and hopefully, it's my hope that as I do that, I can add value to other people's lives. Um, so, you know, again, I, it's, it keeps coming back to my values, which are health, communication, and my mind just went blank. <laughs> Health, let's see, communication. And why am I having a complete meltdown here? I can't do it on my own. Health, I put my health first. I can't do it on my own, so I reach out for help. And, oh, education, that's what it is, learning, learning, sorry, wow, I was going to sit here in silence until I figured that out, why I had a brain freeze, but anyway, so, uh, so those are the three things that remain consistent, they were consistent in my job, and I find it fascinating that now I'm in recovery from my stroke, and those three things are easily transferable as my values into my life itself. So thanks for listening to a little introspection on the parallels between sobriety and stroke recovery. And I will talk to you tomorrow.